Let's get it. Monday, November 16th, 2020. Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Hope you had a great week outside of podcast land. Uh, Hope you enjoyed Veterans Day and our beloved Marine Corps birthday. Personally, for me, it was great, but uh, it threw a kink into my workflow, and it's been difficult to get back on track ever since. Couple ratings, no new reviews this week to respond to. Uh, did get a lot of interview requests lately in our email at podcast at va.gov. As soon as I can respond, I will get to you. Long story short, our hiatus is coming on December 17th, and I'll be doing a lot of planning for the next quarter and beyond at that point. Uh, as always, to contact us, you can send an email to podcast at va.gov. Also, if you haven't yet, Please subscribe, leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. It does help push this podcast up in the algorithms, giving more veterans the chance to catch the information provided not only in the interviews, but in the benefits breakdown episodes and in the news releases. And if you already have, thank you. It did help us break into the top 20 this week in our category. Talking news releases, we got five this week. You can find all the press releases by searching for VA news releases on your search engine of choice, it's usually the top link or it's the, the second link. Sometimes we get confused with VA as in Virginia and you get those news releases, but it's the first or top link. First one says for immediate release during a National Family Caregivers Month this November, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs will honor the caregivers of veterans for their invaluable health care, acknowledging the critical role they play in caring for veterans every day and even more so during the COVID-19 pandemic. There will be virtual events held throughout the month to raise awareness about VA Caregiver Support Program. As part of VA's historic change to the Caregiver Support Program, the department began the first phase of expanding its Program of Comprehensive Assistance for Family Caregivers, otherwise known as PCAFC, on October 1st, which extended the program to eligible veterans who incurred or aggravated a serious injury in the line of duty on or before May 7, 1975. The second phase, effective October 1st, 2022, will expand the program to eligible veterans who incurred or aggravated a serious injury in the line of duty between May 7th, 1975 and September 11th, 2001. PCAFC offers assistance to family caregivers of eligible veterans, including education and training, respite care, a monthly stipend, and more. To learn more about local events or about VA's caregiver support program, Contact your local facility's VA Caregiver Support Coordinator or call the Caregiver Support Line at 1-855-260-3274. And that line is open 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday, and 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturdays. Next one says, for immediate release, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs recently announced It is partnering with the nonprofit, the American Kidney Fund, to help veterans diagnosed with kidney disease live healthier lives. The VA-AKF collaboration augments existing VA programs and services that support veterans through early identification of kidney disease and referral for appropriate treatment. Additionally, veterans will have access to webinars, awareness campaigns, and events to increase their consciousness of risk factors, causes, complications, and treatments of kidney disease 
and associated conditions. Kidney disease affects about one in six veterans, including more than 40,000 VA enrolled veterans who are diagnosed with kidney failure, also known as end-stage renal disease, who rely on dialysis or kidney transplants to survive. VA employs more than 200 nephrologists, I think that's how you say it, nephrologists, who specialize in the care of patients with kidney disease and has a comprehensive research portfolio and aimed at preventing and improving the treatment of chronic kidney disease. Through the partnership with AKF, VA will also share publicly available data with AKF for clinical research. For more information on this and for other partnerships, contact VA's Office of Community Engagement at www.va.gov forward slash health partnerships forward slash index dot ASP. Okay, and the next one says for immediate release, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs recently announced a new nursing research and training collaboration with the Prostate Cancer Foundation focused on expanding the role of advanced practice registered nurses, APRNs, in the genetic services workforce and the delivery of precision oncology patient care. The expansion includes the creation of VA's new data nurse of the future program as part of the department's joint effort with PCF's Precision Oncology Program for Cancer of the Prostate Network. I say that five times fast. This program leverages genetic data and other sources of quote-unquote big data from the electronic health record to improve translational prostate cancer care and research. Translational. That is a made-up word. It increases veteran access molecular testing, targeted treatments, and clinical trials of novel therapeutics. By the end of the course, participating VA nurses will be able to integrate cancer genetics and oncology knowledge into clinical practice, apply practitioner-level proficiency to cancer risk assessment and case management, and recommend risk-appropriate options for cancer screening and prevention, among other things. Grants totaling $600,000 from the Independence Blue Cross of Pennsylvania and the Katz Foundation established the pilot. It will initially focus on serving veterans in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Wilmington, Delaware, the Bronx, New York, and East Orange, New Jersey. The first cohort of two APRNs have begun their training with the national team of experts and are expected to complete the program within one year. Each year, VA treats an estimated 40,000 prostate cancer patients, of which an estimated 15,000 have metastatic disease that require genetic consults and services. To learn more about VA's National Oncology Program, go to www.cancer.va.gov forward slash cancer forward slash PCF dot ASP. All right. And the last two are the releases of a couple of reports. And instead of just reading off the news releases, I'm going to post links to the reports on our episodes blog on blogs.va.gov. Just type Born the Battle episode 220 in the search bar. The first one is the VA's COVID-19 response report, and the second one is the 2020 National Veterans Suicide Prevention Annual Report. Again, I'll have direct links to both of those reports at the bottom of the episode's blog on blogs.va.gov. All right, so this week is a benefits breakdown, and we're going to focus on the Blue Water Navy Veterans Act of 2019, which was really put into effect this year. You're going to hear from a veteran who is currently receiving those benefits and from an Army veteran who is the lead policy analyst for VA's schedule for rating disabilities. And he also helped uh, develop the policy that administers the Blue Water Navy 
Act of 2019. They came together on the show to break down the program. So you're going to get both sides. The veteran that is uh, receiving the benefits and had to do the paperwork and a veteran who administers the program. So without further ado, here is Navy veteran John Burns and Army veteran David Eckert. Enjoy. John, I'm going to start with you. I want to start this interview with uh, with the first question I ask everyone, and I'm going to bring it to both of you since you both are veterans. John, where were you when you first decided to join the Navy? Um, I was about 16 and a half years old when I first wandered into a Navy recruiter's office. It was a small office in Norwood, Massachusetts. Um, I happened to be in the area, had no intention Really, I just happened to be in the area and went in and started asking questions. And like all good Navy recruiters, the chief was really friendly. And, <laughs> yeah. and but he also knew that I was just I was really was a kid, and there there wasn't uh, all he could do was prep me for a, a potential um, maybe down the line. Um, I became fascinated, absolutely fascinated with uh, what he had to say. Um, it was probably one of the luckiest things I ever did in my life. Um, mm. I uh, uh, couldn't wait, frankly. He said, uh, you can't join now. Um, but when you're six, uh, 17 and if your parents will sign, um, then you can go in the Navy. Uh, I happened to be a senior in high school and I happened to have enough credits already the first opening for boot camp for me was uh, three weeks after my 17th birthday. I got my parents to agree and off I went. And oh my gosh, stark reality set in. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it works. Oh, they, yeah. They swear yeah. you in, and all of a sudden, they're not quite as friendly as they were before. No, no, no. You got to go through the. You got to go through that barrier there before you get before you get accepted into the club. So, <laughs> but frankly, uh, in re- in retrospect, um, it it was a, it was a great uh, it was a great first experience, and frankly, uh, it was an experience that I needed to have. I was the oldest of ten kids. Um, oh my gosh! And. Um, my parents, frankly, I think they're, they've both passed away now, but I think, frankly, in retrospect, they were kind of glad to see me leave. Um, <laughs> not that I was a bad kid. I'm not one of these ones that said I had to go in the military because some judge told me to. Sure. Um, they agreed that it was a good um, it was a good move for me. And um, so that's that's it. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Very good. Very good. How many years did you serve in the Navy? I served four years, seven months, and two days. Very good. Very good. Uh, briefly, uh, best friend or greatest mentor? Um, his name is Jim Garner. Unfortunately, he has passed away. Mm. Uh, a few years older than me, and uh, he was someone I knew from home. I didn't even realize he had joined the Navy. Um, he... Uh, was in boot camp a few weeks ahead of me, and I just happened to recognize him one day. Um, in as we were standing in one of the many lines that we stood in, and oh, wow! Uh, and so um, he was a few years, as I said, a few years older than me. Um, he had a 
probably at the time, I shouldn't say probably, at the time he had a better head on his shoulders. He um, stayed in the Navy. He was in for 20 years. He made Master Chief in pretty short order. Um, and I didn't run into him again until 40 years after we had gotten out. But, You're kidding me. Um, no, no. And it was strange the way that happened too. He, he called my uh, high school uh, trying to track me down. And it just happened to be the, the 40th, I, 40th reunion of the high school. So it was like 30 some odd years, uh, but yeah. basically 40 years. He called the high school looking for me. And the high school had lost track of me up until just about a month before. And um, they, the woman that was in charge of the reunions at the high school sent me an email saying, there's somebody trying to get a hold of you. Shall I give him your name? Or if not, do you want to give him a call? So I uh, took his phone number and called him immediately because I had actually been trying to find him and hadn't been able to. Um, and so it was great. Uh, but I told him, I said, it's funny, you know, if you had called a month earlier, they would have told you that I had died in Vietnam because that is kind of the rumor that had gone around at high school. I'd completely lost track of everyone at high school. I'd moved out wow. out of state and everything. So um, it was funny because the woman that was in charge of the high school reunions had contacted my sister and she contacted my sister with this question. Can you give me the details of your brother's death? Wow. Wow. <laughs> my, sister said, my sister said, he's not dead. And, she, and so she, uh, they, they got in touch with me. And so I got invited to the high school reunion. And sure enough, a, a week or so later, I was connected with my, my military mentor. Outstanding. All right. Uh, David, uh, real quick, uh, what is your official title? Uh, lead policy analyst. And then there's a big acronym. Uh, for the for the Vazer D, so I'm the lead policy analyst for the um, Vazer D policy, and Vazer D is just the VA schedule for rating disabilities. So I'm the lead analyst for the rating schedule. Gotcha, gotcha. Veteran two, correct? Iraq. I am. Yes. Uh, what, what years did you serve? I served from 2002 through 2005. Okay, and and briefly, what led you to join join your join your service of choice? Uh, it, I tell you what, I'd never considered joining the military uh, until the morning of September 11th. Uh, I was working on a ranch in Colorado and uh, came down down the stairs into our dining facility to get some, some breakfast and everybody's huddled around uh, the TV at the bar. And one of the, the towers had been hit. And I walked in and just in time to see the second tower get hit. Uh, you know, the, the, I'll remember the camera crew zoomed in and, and you could see stuff falling out of the buildings. And um, yeah. I realized that what was falling out was, was people were jumping to escape the flames. And at that moment, I knew I wanted to do something to make sure uh, that, that something like that never happened again. Got you. And so I called, actually called the Marine Corps and the Army and just told them both, whoever calls me back first, I'll join. <laughs> Dang, just missed out on you. So you served for uh, for a term. Um, any any tours overseas? Uh, you did you you did go to Iraq, right? Yes. So I, I served with one seven Cav Gary Owen, and we spent a year uh, in the southern part of uh, Baghdad, and we we patrolled the uh, Route Irish, which is the main route route from yep. the Green Zone to 
the Baghdad International Airport, and we also patrolled some of the southern uh, neighborhoods of Baghdad. Very good, very good. It's always good to know that there's there's veterans behind some of these policy policies being written with the with the VA. Um, now that you're a policy analyst and you help write the policy to enforce the Blue Water Navy Act, David, what does it mean to you personally to write something this important in the lives of naval veterans of the Vietnam War? Oh, it it means everything. Uh, when I wake up in the morning, and I, I have that motivation. I, I know what my experiences were. I know what my friends' are, experiences have been. Um, I, I know that I don't know have that firsthand knowledge of what it was like to be in the Navy off the coast of uh, Vietnam. But I know that all of our services are, are different, basically in the same way. You know, we, we should have a lot of shared experiences, and and it's important to me. Um, that I'm able to take care of my fellow veterans and that we, when we we're doing these things, we're getting the right benefits to the right people. Very good. Um, okay. Back to John. Uh, John, what years did you serve in Vietnam? Uh, in Vietnam, it was 1966. Oh, wow. I joined in, uh, I joined the Navy in 1962. Yeah. And okay. therein lies the other part of the story. Okay. Um, I had served in submarines for my uh, original enlistment. Um, we, in 1962, we knew very little about Vietnam. We heard, you know, it was called Indochina at the time. So, occasionally you, you would hear about Indochina on the news, but nothing yeah. about Vietnam. Yeah. Um, what the big thing when I went in was the Cuban Missile Crisis, and sure. that is what steered me towards uh, Polaris submarines. Although I started off on the old uh, nuclear, uh, not the old uh, diesel electric oh, wow. uh, boats, um, and I was in I was in the transition years where they we still had diesel electric boats, um, but the submarine navy was converting. Uh, pretty rapidly over to uh, nuclear. Yeah. So I started started off on the old uh, USS Catfish, um, which was built in 1945, um, <laughs> and was then assigned to a school in uh, Damneck, Virginia, which was um, introducing the new GPS systems. Um, the GPS systems were designed primarily for the military. They were designed to position Polaris submarines very accurately on the face of the earth in order to uh, fire their missiles. Yeah. So that same that same uh, $89 device that you have stick under the window of your car um, was many, many, many millions of dollars back then. Sure. Um, and, and very unproven too. So, uh, so I, I uh, got in very early in the GPS um, technology. Then, um, after my enlistment was almost over, as you may know, uh, Polaris submarines have two crews. Quick explanation, they have two crews. One crew would be over in Holy Lock, Scotland. Uh, the other crew would be back in New London, and every three months we'd switch. Two of those three months, the submarine would deploy. It would submerge outside of Scotland. Two months later, it would surface pretty much in the same spot outside of Scotland and come back into port. So you were, you were down for the entire, entire two months. Wow. Um, I've told people I didn't have enough time left on my enlistment to, uh, 
do another patrol. And I've told people, you really needed your head examined if that's something you wanted to volunteer for. Huh. Um, I have tremendous respect for everybody that carries a gun. Um, that's not how it worked in the, uh, in the Polaris Navy. Well, that makes the sense. Closest, the closest you came to dying in the Polaris Navy is dying of boredom. It was, it, it just was a tough, and I've known people that have done many, many patrols and I have profound respect for them. But at any rate, transferred to Newport, ready to be, to be discharged. I was put on a destroyer since I had about a month left, uh, a little over a month left in my enlistment. Um, and they put me on this destroyer. They needed electronics technicians. And so I worked aboard the destroyer while I was being processed out of the Navy. Just as I'm ready to get out, I was informed that um, I would not be getting out, that instead I'd be going to Vietnam. Um, so you got stop lost? I did. Oh, wow. And I, I believe, and I'm not sure, but I believe the, the at least everybody in my rating um, was in, in the same boat. Wow. Um, they, 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 they desperately needed the, uh, the electronics technicians. Now, I, I know other people got extended too, so I don't mean to sure. mean to, to suggest that I'm the Lone Ranger here because I'm no, not. No. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, at the time, I was, you know, as, as I say, 20, I was 21. I was supposed to get out the day before I was 21. Um, it didn't particularly bother me that that's what was happening. Vietnam was not particularly controversial in 1966. Mm. Um, I understood that we were going to Vietnam because we wanted to stop the, uh, the proliferation of communism. And uh, that at the time, because of another experience that I'd had, meant a tremendous amount to me. Mm. Uh, between my patrols, uh, the single guys especially were allowed to take European leave. Yeah. And um, so we would go and, and, and bounce around Europe. Um, I happened to catch a, a Mac flight to Berlin. Um, and that was when shortly after the Berlin Wall had been built. So if, a few years, but I mean, shortly in the grand scheme of things. So this is 1965. I remember going to the Berlin Wall and seeing really what the, the communist endgame was. And that was... They built a wall. You weren't getting out. And if you did, the Soviet snipers that were standing in the buildings about 400 yards beyond the wall were going to pick you off when you tried to get out. Yeah. The walls, were, the walls weren't designed to keep people out. They were designed to keep people in. They were desi definitely designed to keep people in. And uh, if you had any argument with that, then, then there was a bullet waiting for you. And, and wow. there were a number of people that gave it a, gave it a try. Um, and they got shot. So you saw you saw communism firsthand at the Wall of Berlin. I did. So you were okay with going to Vietnam? I was fine. I was fine with with going to Vietnam. I uh, um, I probably wouldn't have volunteered to go, uh, only because I just was getting. I was to the point where I really wanted to get out of the Navy. Sure. Um, but the fact that they told me that that was where I was going to go did not bother me a bit. Gotcha. How long were you out there? Um, the deployment was from January of 66 and we returned in September of 66. So it was not that long. Um, uh, and actually the, the, the destroyer, which I was attached to the USS Davis, um, was part of a squadron and we went around the world. So it was, it was a good trip too. I mean, it was, uh, 
from Newport down through the Panama Canal over to Vietnam, um, and then back through the Suez Canal. And you're much, much too young, but I can tell you that the Suez Canal in 1967 closed for, I believe it was 19 years. So I got through the Suez Canal just before they closed the door on it. Oh, wow. So that was, that was, a, that was an experience that I could talk to people about too. No regrets of having gone to Vietnam whatsoever. Um, and so... Very good. But you were obviously exposed to Agent Orange as you're one of the first to be accepted under the Blue Water Navy program, right? Yes. Um, and at the time, we, we obviously had no idea what it was. Yeah. Um, what do you recall about your exposure? Um, other than the fact that we were close to shore and uh, sometimes you could see it being dropped from the aircraft. Okay. Um, it did, which, which frankly meant absolutely nothing to me at the time. It, well, it really yeah. didn't. Yeah. Um, uh, but what happened is, is that it, it would um, go, get into the water. The water would then, if, especially if you were really close to shore, um, the water would then come in and would be made into fresh water. And it actually concentrated the Agent Orange. So Interesting. You ended up drinking a concentration of it. Oh, my gosh. Bathing in it. But – the it took many many years for the um, for the ramifications to be start to be realized. Sure. Now, so you said was everybody bathing in this? Was everybody drinking it? Yes, everybody. Wow. Everybody. Uh, yes, everybody that was in that um, area of the world. You said it, it took years to manifest. How how did it manifest? How did it affect him? How did it affect you guys over the years? The two the two that I have are ischemic heart disease and. Uh, um, diabetes, type 2 diabetes. Um, so how did I realize it? Well, um, as I was getting older, uh, I was starting to slow down and I just wrote it off to old age. Um, mm. That uh, in my 60s, um, you know, I wasn't as young as I once was. So one day I, at the time was living uh, in Cape Cod, way out on, on Cape Cod, um, and we had a really, really bad snowstorm. Um, and I was out trying to remove the snow from my driveway. And it was bad enough that nobody was moving anywhere. And I started to feel chest pains and thought to myself, if I'm having a heart attack, this is it for me because there's nobody that's going to get in here and get me out. That's how bad the snowstorm was. There's just no way. Yeah. So fortunately um, – the it passed, so it turned out it was actually angina, but it was the first uh, uh, indication that I had that there was something much worse than simply aging. Yeah, because uh, you know, because I, I, I knew I was I knew I was tiring easily. I knew I was getting out of breath easily, um, but I, I didn't know why. And then this hit me um, that uh, when when I had this uh, this incident. Um, that I had something serious wrong. So, um, and we never got out of our driveways and out of our, what they call, they call a private road on Cape Cod. That's a real estate term for, it's a dirt road and the town doesn't maintain it. So, <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> so, so while it sounds great and very romantic, it's not. And so I hear you. Uh, it took, took four days for them to clear the road for me to even get out. So I didn't even get to go see a doctor for 
uh, for those four days. Um, and they gave me the uh, uh, echocardiogram um, and the injective dye. It's a, sure. a process that they go through and they can they watch the, the dye uh, flow through your, your arteries and veins. And um, they spotted uh, uh, a very severe blockage. I was 99% blocked in my right coronary artery. Oh, my gosh. And um, in, in retrospect, it's, I was, again, pretty lucky that I, that I didn't die um, and that I was able to pinpoint what it was that the problem was. And I am here because of modern medicine. They were able to in, uh, put a stent in. Yeah. And... Um, it was funny because in a follow-up appointment to my doctor, I said, um, now that you've made me feel like I'm 20 years old, where do I go to look like I'm 20 years old? <laughs> the, the, the difference was amazing. For the first time in years, I was able to like do a 100-yard <laughs> dash. Uh, whereas before, if I looked at a set of stairs that had more than three stairs to it, I, you know, I'd, I'd break out into a cold sweat just thinking about trying to walk up it. Uh. So now I'm a, I'm 75 years old, although I don't look a day over 74. Um, <laughs> you don't sound 75 either, John. You don't sound 75. Um, so, so was it was this angina? Was this you know all, all the stents, all that? Was that all due to? To the Agent Orange exposure, it's attributed. To, it is attributed to that. The the um, uh, and and I don't know the science behind it. Sure, but it's one of the and Dave could speak much more uh, clearly about this than I can. But there are okay. fourteen um, what they call presumptive diseases um, that fall under the Agent Orange. Where and what I mean by that is if if you've got any of these diseases and if you are exposed to Agent Orange. The VA uh, assumes that it was uh, that Agent Orange contributed to that. That is absolutely correct. Gotcha, gotcha. Real quick, um, so this this question is for both of you. Um, can you give me a little bit of background on how the Blue Water Navy Act came to be, uh, John? From your perspective, and then and then to David, how did the VA respond to the community? My understanding is that um, that. The, there had been inter, uh, legislation that had been introduced several times, and that it finally was passed in uh, 2019. Um, I believe back in 1991, um, the they took the Blue Water Navy out of the uh, presumptive category, oh, wow. and so from 1991 to 2019. Um, you, there, were, there was no claims that could be made. You had to have what was called boots on the ground. But before ninety um, one, they had claims. I, I guess so. And you know, I'm going to be honest. Interesting. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I had totally given up on the VA many, many years ago. Sure. Um, I, I, the, this is a new VA we're dealing with today, and it's, I mean, it's, it's great. Um, but back then. Um, they really didn't want to have an awful lot to do. And with I us. think that's, I think that's fair. And I think that's a fair yeah. thing to say. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I might, so all I know is from what I've heard and what I've heard back in 1991. And by the way, I didn't have any indication of, uh, of a presumptive disease back then either. Sure. Um, in, in, in 1991. So, gotcha. um, that, that's something that hap 
that happens accumulates over time. Gotcha. Um, so 1991 to 2019, um, and Dave, you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, the Blue Water uh, Vietnam veterans were not uh, entitled to um, any benefits. That's correct. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, previously what the law had said was that veterans who served in the Republic of Vietnam were considered exposed to herbicides. And um, we at the VA, had, that was interpreted at face value to mean that only those who served within the land borders uh, or boots on the ground were in the Republic of Vietnam. Uh, and so with the passage of the Blue Water Navy Vietnam Veterans Act of 2019, Congress clarified that uh, service in the offshore waters of Vietnam uh, qualified for exposure to herbicides. Um, and so this means that veterans who serve in those offshore waters are now able to receive the benefits for disabilities that are related to that herbicide. So, John, you absolutely got that correct. Gotcha. So before 91, were, were there claims? In, in some instances, I believe there was. And, and now I'm just speculating. I believe sure. people were making claims over the years. Um, again, when I was in the Navy, I was very, very young. So yeah. people that were maybe 10, 15, 20 years older than me sure. were probably making claims back then. Trusty admirals and, and exactly, yeah, petty that, officers that. and all <laughs> uh, So David, is that true to the speculation? Were, were there claims before 91? Uh, I, I believe there must have been. I, off off yeah. the top of my head, I, I don't have that information. Gotcha. No, no worries. No worries. So now that this just recently went into effect, uh, John, before this, what was life like for you and how has this act changed your life? Um, I don't. My life was fine. Um, <laughs> again, I just I just felt I was I was getting old. I was not somebody that was pushing very hard for the benefits. I'm, I'm glad that I've got them. Um, I do believe that I deserve them. However, I put the sacrifices that people make in perspective and, well, okay, I'm, I did make a sacrifice, but not the kind of sacrifices that a lot of people have made. And so it, it's not something that um, that I ever pursued very hard. I will say that it is it is welcome. Very, very welcome at this stage in my life, um, where I, I seriously am getting old, yeah. and um, and so um, it, it's 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 very timely. Let's just put it that way. Got you. What what has changed? Just uh... I do get I get um, a monthly amount. I'm I'm considered forty percent disabled. Yeah, um, and and I do get a monthly amount. Um, which, as I say, is, is quite helpful. It also allows me to be a little more generous. I and I do consider myself a generous person, but then there are certainly financial constraints to generosity. Sure. Those restraints have been have been relieved by this, and so I I, I do try to be as generous as I possibly can, um, and uh, you know that that is helpful also. Outstanding. Makes me feel good. Outstanding. Um- John, are, are there any are there any blue Vietnam Blue Water Navy communities that you keep in touch with? There are, and that's actually the first um, exposure I got to the VA. Really, I moved to Nashville 
um, in 2014. It's a great city. It, it is. It is. <laughs> we're, we're, we're enjoying living here. And part of the reason we moved here uh, was because we were so remote in Cape Cod. <laughs> what I said to my wife is, I can turn 70 here. But I can't turn eighty here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like it was just it was just too difficult living in that remote a situation and needing the medical attention that I need. And sure. plus, I, I, there's there's all kinds of fun happening in there. <laughs> so, Absolutely, I love that little so, road. That little uh, I, I talk about all the time. I, I've been there a couple of years ago. It's a nice little uh, little ambiance you got down there in downtown. Good food. It is. It is. It's good place. A lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, how do you keep in touch with these these Blue Water Navy communities? What information do you get? Well, uh, that's you know that there there we there we go with another story. I um, uh, because I can no longer grow hair on the top of my head. I walk around with a baseball cap most of the time. Um, <laughs> when I <laughs> mainly because because uh, of the my, the top of my head gets sunburned pretty badly. So sure. Um, so I when I first I made four trips to. To Nashville before we finally uh, settled on buying a place and that. So one of the trips that I made here, I used to wear a Boston Red Sox baseball hat, and I left it in a restaurant. And the only hat, other hat I had was uh, my uh, hat from the USS Sam Houston, which was the Polaris submarine I was on. And so I had to wear that. People started stopping me in the streets, wanting to talk to me. I had never experienced anything like that in my life. Tennessee is very, very veteran oriented. They love their veterans in Tennessee. And, and I just, again, have, just happened to be a, an accidental beneficiary of that. Yeah. Um, I was asked by one former submarine sailor if I wanted to uh, join the, the U.S. Um, veterans, USSVI is the is the. But it's a sub, basically submarine veterans group. So I joined that group. Um, and at one of their meetings, um, a veteran service officer who is a, a state employee um, made a presentation. And after it was over, even though most of the submarine veterans, in fact, very few of the submarine veterans had actually served in Vietnam or, or off the uh, waters of Vietnam. Sure. Um, I was in that kind of unique category. Um, and I, so I made an appointment with him afterwards. And and he was just amazing, um, the the help that he, he gave me. Um, steered me in the right direction. Made We put in a, a number of different claims. Um, because he, you know, he asked me a lot of questions about my medical background and that type of thing. He said, well, let's put these claims in and see how they proceed. So, um, we put, put the claims in, they were, they were basically denied with the exception of a tinnitus, um, which is a hearing situation sure, that, sure. that was approved, but everything else was denied because that this was before the blue water veterans, um, act. Um, a, a few years before, this was like 2017 that, that this happened. But at least I was now plugged into the VA, yeah. um, whereas I hadn't, I hadn't been before. Um, so anyone that's listening to this, that's wondering where to go, where to start, I would say the first thing you want to do is find yourself a VSO or veteran service officer. Yeah. They can be sometimes uh, state employees, county employees. They can be... American Legion, they can be 
VFW, they can be D, um, disabled American veterans. Yeah, DAV. Um, so there's there's someone out there is waiting to help you. That's the message I have, um, and and waiting and anxious to help you. So start yeah. there. Um, you'll have to then start gathering some some information. What was the name of the of the VSO that helped you, or the other group that helped you? Um, the the VSO that helped me was uh, um, the um, it was a county veterans uh, organization, um, gotcha. and actually I believe he was a state employee. But gotcha. uh, the states and counties have, and even some towns, individual towns will have uh, uh, veteran service officers on staff and that's what their job is just to help veterans you, you talk about you talked about your hat there um that you're being yes. recognized with your hat and i think yeah. it, you know one it could be a geographical thing with nashville and, and massachusetts but i also think it could be a vietnam thing because i think you know i i've said many times that i think uh, the crosses that that vietnam veterans bore when they came home were the reasons that i think my generation was as well received as we were so I think maybe that also had something to do with that. The fact that you were a Vietnam veteran that probably didn't get that. Thank you for, for many, many, many years. So, uh, was that, did you experience any of that when you, when you first came back? No. Um, and, and frankly, part of the reason we didn't experience it is we just didn't talk about it much. Um, I came when I returned from Vietnam Things hadn't really heated up from a from a political standpoint in the United States yet. Yeah. Um, at least not where not, not where I was. However, we we just kind of keep our heads down. Yeah. Um, it's not not something we talked about. Well, you know, uh, I do want to be the one. You know, I do want to say thank you for what you did. I really appreciate. You know, like I said, that that what you guys did and what you guys endured. Uh, what your generation endured was was the reason that we were so well received. So I really appreciate what you guys. Well, did. thank you. I love it. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, I'd, I'd also like to say that I, I I feel the same way, and I feel that the like you said, we were received differently when we came home because of the way America felt about the way you were received when you came home. So welcome home, and and I appreciate you. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Very, thank you both of you. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. So I think the next one's for David. Um, Really quick, what what is the criteria for claiming benefits as a Blue Water Navy veteran? Uh, all right, well, down and dirty, to be eligible as a Blue Water Navy veteran, you need to have served in the offshore waters not more than 12 nautical miles off the Republic of Vietnam uh, between January 9th, 1962 and May 7th, 1975. Uh, and it, it doesn't need to be any specified amount of time that you were in those waters. If your ship swerved in overnight and came back out, you're a Blue Water Navy veteran. Now, John, you've talked about filing your claim. How long did it take, uh, roughly, from start to finish to file? Uh, what was the, what was the length? We fi- started to file our Blue Water claims, as I indicated. The mine mine were all denied at first because I filed in 2017. In 2019, when the law was passed, we started to file. Uh, re, uh, for reconsideration, um, they held that off. I, so I filed in July of 2017. Um, now, excuse me, July of 2019, um, and basically, I got. They, they said, "Okay, hold off. The law doesn't take effect till January of, uh, of 2000." 
20. So um, hold off and uh, we'll get back to you. So, uh, but sure enough, in January of 2020, they did get back to me. Uh, I was set up with a, uh, a, what they call a C&P exam uh, compensation. And Dave, can you jump in for me? What does C&P stand for? Uh, compensation and pension. Yes, compensation and pension, right. So I, I had a, uh, an exam set up. Um, I started receiving benefits in February of 2020. It was fast. I mean, I was not, I was not after, after waiting for some 50 odd years to deal with a VA, I, I was amazed at how fast they responded. Gotcha. And what was the, what was the communication like? It sounds like you, you were in communication with the VA where that they were pretty helpful in letting you know when to file, when not to file. Yes. Um, well, I, I went back to a, a different uh, veteran service officer. The one that had filed my original claims had been reassigned to a different county. Gotcha. So I went back, I went back to another one. This guy was very, very helpful. Um, he told me the documents that I needed to assemble, that type of thing. Um, and, and if I could just interject here, yeah. if anybody has got a history of assignments, it's a dog-eared um, document that you'll find in your service record I just happened to have it. I was given a bunch of paper from my service record and happened to the, find it. Like the page three. That's what – The page three. It's got all the different yeah. assignments. All your different assignments. That document proved to be critical. It showed that I was on the ship during the period of time that I said I was on the ship. Um, I then needed to get um, – uh, I, I, I went to the National Archives and, and ordered – uh, deck logs for the USS Davis. Oh, wow. Um, you, you don't have to do that now. <laughs> I, the, the VA has compiled a lot of that um, data for you now. So, so that was a, that was something that took, took a little while to get the, to get the deck logs, go through the deck logs, find out which ones um, you, I needed to show that I was within the 12 mile um, territorial waters. Yeah. And so I submitted those, just those pages. And I think part of the reason I was as successful as I was is I got precisely the information that they asked for and didn't submit a lot of other stuff, um, things that pe people had to wade through. Right. So got exactly what I needed. Um, I had the um, my medical records uh, showing, you know, when, when I was diagnosed with the, with the presumptive diseases. So those pages, those couple pages there, history of assignments page, couple pages of deck log, and that, that was it. How long did it take for you to collect everything that you needed? It, um, you know, I'm going to have to guess, but I'm going to say it took me maybe a month. Wow. It doesn't need to take you that long. It doesn't need to take you that long. If you happen to have that history of assignment, yeah. Then the the rest of it will now go pretty easily. The, your veteran service officer will probably be able to um, go to the the VA website um, and pin down uh, when your ship was within the waters, and the the rest is pretty pretty smooth sailing as long as you've got the the medical records to show that you do have, in fact have the diseases. You'll then go to this CNP exam where a doctor will. Um, will have a conversation with you is really how it really boils down to. They just have a conversation with you about your medical history. They've got the documents, but they want to hear a little bit about the medical history, how it's affected you and that type of thing. And 
then they um, then some sort of magic happens, which I guess Dave um, is more much more familiar with than I am. Yeah. And there come there comes a benefit slaughter comes back and and away you go. Gotcha. Where does this get processed at, Dave? So we have uh, eight regional offices that are centralized doing these these, these claims. Um, but that doesn't that doesn't mean if you don't live near one of them that you're not going to get your claim considered. It's just we 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 have specialized um, training and, and specialists working on these claims, trying to get them done as accurately and consistently as possible. Um, but like you said, you you get the CMP examination. You go there. The doctor's going to take some um, either me- measurements or you know sometimes he's just going to take your history, whatever it is he needs to fill out his portion of the exam, and then it goes to. Uh, the rating board, and they're going to make a determination based on the the Vazer D, the the rating schedule, and um, and hopefully that goes pretty quickly. Very good, very good. Um, now he's talked about some some monetary compensation. What are some of the benefits veterans are eligible with the, with if they're if they are considered Blue Water Navy veterans? What else What else can they be considered for? If you're eligible, you may receive a monthly disability compensation payment for any disabilities due to the exposure, as John has mentioned, yeah. um, as well as free health care related to those disabilities. Um, there, there are actually quite a few benefits that uh, you may be uh, entitled to, depending on your level of disability and your situation. Um, so I would encourage anybody that has any questions about any, any additional benefits that may be out there to go to uh, va.gov. Um, and just explore the numerous benefits available available to better, uh, veterans. So you're talking about depending on your rating, different different uh, benefits open up, right? And and you know the, your your rating can actually have effects on um, home home loan benefits. Um, it, can, it can have uh, effects on you getting vocational rehabilitation. There's all kinds of things out there that they may affect. Got you, got you, got you. Um, is there a, is there a site on va.gov to go for this information to go find information on Blue Water Navy? Uh, there is, and as far as Blue Water Navy, uh, what I would tell you to do is just go to va.gov. There's a search bar on the screen. Yeah. Type in Blue Water Navy into that search bar, and it'll take you right where you need to go, and you'll have all of the information at your fingertips that you could ever need uh, in submitting a claim. Gotcha. Um, and is that the same if you just want to type type in disability rating benefits? Absolutely. Uh, if you have questions about getting a disability evaluation, you can go in there and search in for disability ratings, compensation. Um, you'll, you'll be able to find any information you need about any of our benefits that are available. Gotcha. And let me just interject this just so uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of a techie, so I'm, I can navigate this stuff pretty easily. I know I like that people my people my age people my age some of them break into a cold sweat just at the thought of turning. If you call it a computer, they're gonna they're gonna uh, you know break out in hives. You know, my grandma still has a VCR. She doesn't want to learn a DVD. You know, <laughs> she right. doesn't want to learn the iPhone. That's I, right. I, I, I have to get her a jitterbug. But now that her friend has an iPhone and she can talk to her grandkids, <laughs> now I'm kind of right. hearing. Maybe I want an iPad. So right, um, I'm go. glad that you're a techie, though. That's awesome. <laughs> well, my, my but my point is is <laughs> call the call the VSO, call your veteran service officer. They can do all this stuff. They do it all day long, and uh, they'll 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 do it for you. So 
Um, and, and if I could interject also, those, uh, these VSOs, they, I just want to make it very clear that they will do this for free. They do not charge any additional fees when they're we're helping you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's why they're so important. And, and, you know, that's, that's why it's so important to support, you know, VSOs and your, and your local communities and, and things like that, because they really do help people like that. Like you said, that aren't very tech savvy and they will help you fill out these claims. Um, gentlemen, we've covered a lot of ground. Is there anything else that I didn't ask? Any any final part? Any final parting of wisdom that you may impart on anybody that's listening? Uh, first, I'll go to you, John, and then and then David. Um, I would say a couple things. Contact your veteran service officer. Be patient. They they really want to help you. They're, the claims are probably building up quite a lot now. I mean, when I got in, I got in pretty quickly, but. It, it was just barely on the horizon at the time. Um, be patient and don't be discouraged. They're, they want to help you if you get turned down, if they ask you for another piece of uh, information, um, they're, they're really trying to help. And it, uh, if you're entitled to the, to the benefit, they want to get it for you. Very good. David? Uh, absolutely. If you, if any of your listeners are out there, uh, and know somebody, so know somebody that they think may be eligible for benefits as a blue water Navy veteran, encourage them to submit a claim. Uh, we are here to help them get benefits they deserve. We want to do it. We look forward to doing it. Um, so submit a claim, submit a claim, submit a claim. I can't say it often or loud enough. If you think you may qualify, submit a claim and let us do the digging. Let us get you those benefits. And if I could add just one more thing, um, there is a perception that if you, quote unquote, make too much money, you're not entitled to the benefits, you're not entitled to the medical. That is not true. Um, and that was the point when I said I, I got the presentation from the VSO at my submarine group. Yeah. Do not assume that you are, you know, making too much money to participate in the VA, because if you've, if you are entitled to the, um, the blue water benefit, it doesn't matter. And, uh, I just want to stress that because I, I've actually tried to pass some of this information on to other people. And that's the first thing that will come out of their mouth. Um, I, I make too much money. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Disability compensation for service-connected conditions is not based on your income whatsoever. Uh, and yes, apply. If you think you might be eligible, apply. We served our country like those before us. You know, it was a dangerous era. All of Vietnam was dangerous. The carnage of war left an indelible mark on me. We came back and built lives. As time went on, we faced new challenges and found support to handle them. I went to the VA, talked to my doctor. and started doing groups. I started doing one-on-one -on -one counseling. At maketheconnection.net, you can hear our stories and find tools and services available to you. I want to thank John and David for coming on and sharing much needed information for so many. For more information on the Blue Water Navy Act of 2019, go to benefits.va.gov forward slash blue hyphen water hyphen 
navy.asp. You can also go to blogs.va.gov and look for the blog on this episode, and it's full of links and videos about the Blue Water Navy Act of 2019. Our Born the Battle Veteran of the Week comes by the way of our Veteran of the Day program. Every day, our social media team highlights a veteran on all of our social media platforms and on blogs.va.gov. You can nominate your own Veteran of the Day by sending some photos and a short write-up in an email to newmedia at va.gov. Regis Philbin enlisted in the Navy. He served as a Supply Corps officer at Naval Amphibious Base Coronado between 1953 and 1955. After 1955, Philbin left the Navy. On his last day of service, a major in the Marines asked Philbin what he wanted to do with his life. Philbin mentioned television, and the major encouraged him. Philbin went on to serve the American public through television screens for more than half a century, accumulating almost 17,000 hours on screen throughout the span of his career. He actually holds the Guinness Book of World Records for most hours on television. Nonetheless, securing his spot in television history was no easy task. For almost a decade, Philbin worked behind the scenes, hopping between stations on the East and West Coast. Once while working for a talk show, Philbin became a last-minute fill-in host when Duggan failed to show up. Philbin would later describe himself feeling so nervous he thought he would break down right there on the air. His career took off in the 60s. His first talk show, The Regis Philbin Show, ran with no writing staff. He tried his best with the situation and developed an improvised segment where he chatted with his audience. In 1967, Philbin got his first taste of national television after becoming a sidekick on The Joey Bishop Show. His name became a national sensation after walking off stage during a live broadcasting of the show, citing dissatisfaction with network directors. With a name known throughout the nation, Philbin went on to host some very known television and game shows in his life. Among those include Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and Live with Regis and Kathy Lee, which later became Live with Regis and Kelly. He received multiple daytime Emmy awards throughout his life. He wrote two autobiographies that contain his life story. He also released a memoir titled How I Got This Way, recounting his entertaining life. Unfortunately, as many of you all know, Regis Philbin recently passed away on July 24th, 2020. Navy veteran Regis Philbin, we honor his service. That's it for this week's episode. If you would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app on the phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, you name it. DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. 
And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care.